0: Kyle Eidelman is a pastor, he is
1: an author, and uh, he wrote one of his books, he talked about a circumstance, a situation where he went to the gym to work out and he happened to be on an elliptical machine and it was up against the glass, that faced out into the parking lot and so he was watching kind of what's going on out there and he sees this guy pull up in his car and it was kind of a heavyset guy but the guy gets out of his car and he reaches back into the car and he pulls out his gym bag. And he's thinking, well good for him good for him. But before he closes the door to start walking into the gym, he reaches in one more time and he pulls out something else. And this time, this is a a cup. turns out to be a Dairy Queen blizzard that he's also brought to the gym with him. And he comes and he actually finishes it up on his way in and he throws it away before he goes in to work out. And I heard that story and I thought, isn't that like a lot of us? I mean, can't you relate to this guy, right? I mean, yes, we want to be physically fit for sure, but we also want the blizzard. And it's one thing when it's it's food, but the truth of the matter is that very same sort of thing, attitude, mindset happens oftentimes in our spiritual walk also, doesn't it? Where we want to be spiritually fit, but there are other things that are going on in our lives that we aren't sure we're ready to give up just yet. Same attitude, same actions that we might want to live on with. And so today we're gonna talk about combating that sort of mindset, that sort of idea. Today we're gonna be talking about full surrender. That's a theme of our time today in God's word, full surrender. This is actually the fourth and final installment of our My Testimony series. I hope you've been with us for these. If you have been, I'm sure you've been deeply encouraged as we've heard some di- from some different folks. We heard from Jimmy, and we heard from Samantha, and we heard from Steve, and today we're going to have the final one of those, and I know that you're going to be inspired. I know that you're going to be encouraged as you hear the story that we are bringing to you here Today, You're going to be glad that you are here for this final installment. Today, the one that I want to introduce to you and have you hear from, his name is Nate Gannon. Nate, why don't you come on up and join me up here. Nate has been a part of Pathway for about a year and a half or so, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to get to know Nate and learn something of his story. And just learn who he is as a person. And I'm confident that you are going to be blessed by what you hear. So welcome, Nate. Let's go ahead and have a, have a seat and uh, let's go ahead and talk. Nate's going to share his story with us here. Thanks for much, so much for doing this. Thank you for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Nate, why don't you just get us started by uh, introducing yourself to everybody.
0: Yeah. Uh, my name's Nate Gannon. I grew up here in Beaver County. I've been involved with sports my entire life. I became clear in high school that hockey was the sport that I excelled in the most. Uh, I received a scholarship to Ohio State, and then I was blessed with an 11-year professional uh, hockey career.
1: So that's a very quick introduction, I appreciate that, but um, some of what you didn't tell them is that uh, he not only played at Ohio State, and he also was Uh, while he was at Ohio State, received a number of different awards. He was selected by his peers and by his coaches to be the captain of that team, which tells you just a little something about his leadership and about uh, the character that he was demonstrating at the time, at least in part. And um, then he went on. He was drafted by the New York Rangers, ended up playing with a few different teams in the NHL, including our very own Pittsburgh Penguins Mm -hmm. for a little stint and um, just had an amazing career and uh, was someone who you would look at and you'd think there's a guy who's got his skills going on. And uh, so, but why don't you just tell us, I mean, this is something that none of us, I don't think anybody in the room has ever had a professional hockey career, Tell us what it's like to be in the NHL, to play professional hockey.
0: I got to live my childhood dream. You grow up playing the game, you watch it on TV, and you just you hope to one day be able to play there. And when I first made it, it was, it was pretty surreal. Now you're playing against guys that you grew up watching on TV. And in one of my first games, I got to play against uh, Yarmir Yager. And for any Penguins fans, you would recognize that name. But Yarmir was he's one of the all-time greats. I actually have a picture that I took with Yager when I was a little kid. And there I am cross-checking him on the, on the back, trying to, trying to knock him off the puck. Um, and as Pastor Jeff said, I got to have a brief stint here with the Penguins. And that was when I got to see up close uh, the talent uh, that a guy like Sidney Crosby was blessed with. And not only do guys like that are they blessed with talent, they're God also blessed them with this incredible work ethic. And when you put those together, that's when that's when you have something special. The thing that I enjoyed the most about playing was getting to compete against guys like that on a nightly basis. You get to play against the best players in the world. And you get to challenge yourself in practice and in games. And I, I thrived on that.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. The congregation has been seeing a few photos of you that uh, you had sent to me. And uh, I think that's really super cool to, to just see you in your different uh, get up and a few different teams. This is one of those that you sent to me. There are a couple that I found on my own, however. Um, One of them, if we can find that one, this is you um, just uh, defending Malkin and uh, having your way with him is the way it looks to me. Um, So that's one. Here's another one I found that you did not send to me. This is you getting destroyed into the boards, basically. (laughs) And uh, so, I, so I asked Nate, I said, this, this one might just possibly get shown in the service. And he's like, do it, you gotta show it. And so I just appreciate your spirit and your humility in, in all of that, I really do. Um, so hockey is amazing. I've asked you so many questions about hockey. As I've gotten to know you, and we could just go on and on with those questions, but I want you to also talk a bit about what was going on spiritually mm-hmm. speaking for you at that time, leading into that time. What's going on in Nate spiritually?
0: I've always felt God's presence, but I was never willing to fully surrender or, or to go to go all in. Uh, God was a bit of a crutch. I'd mess up. I'd pray for forgiveness. God give. Me Get me out of this. I'll never do it again. And then once the dust was settled, I'd forget about God, and I'd go on with my life. For, for most of my life, I, honestly, I was a, I was a pretender. I, I sought others' approval, and I denied it. As, as much as I say I didn't, I really, really cared what everybody thought. Friends, teammates, girls, fans, scouts, everyone really cared. And a lot of those insecurities carried into my playing career. For most of my career, I was battling to, for a roster spot. So when I was in the NHL, I would be stressed out. If I don't play well, I'm going to get sent down. And when I was down in the minors, all I would do is think about getting called up. So because of that mindset, I could never fully enjoy my playing days. Imagine how freeing it would have been to live by Colossians 3.17. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you are honoring God with all the blessings he gave you, it, it doesn't matter what league you're in, if you're in the NHL or American League. But, I mean, that being said, we, uh, it's pretty obvious it's more exciting to play in the NHL than the minor leagues. Like in the NHL, you'll have 18,000 fans in the arena in the minors, some of the cities, you'd have a couple hundred people. So that part's pretty obvious. Yeah.
1: So you have this 11-year career and uh, you retired just in 2017.
0: Mm-hmm. So what happened after hockey? What, what came next? My identity was Nate Gannon, hockey player. So now what? I, uh, I married my girlfriend of seven years. Our relationship had no, no foundation of God and had been slowly falling apart. She, she was amazing, I, I, I was just flat out an awful, awful partner. Uh, a little over a year after our wedding, we were separated, and once again, I pretended. I pretended everything was okay, I pretended I was confident, I pretended I have everything under control, and then it all hit me. My hockey career is over, my wife left me, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. So I went on what I was hoping was going to be my my final hike. And as I say that, like, at that time in my life, I was was really, really weak. And living in Colorado, my favorite hike was a 45-minute drive from my house. It was an awesome hike. It was quick. It was about a little over a mile up. It was steep. You could get a really good sweat in and then you get rewarded with this beautiful, rocky mountain view. But the drive out there was different, just different, different thoughts. Uh, on the way out, like the thoughts that were going through my mind were, maybe a mountain lion will get me, maybe I'll fall, maybe I'll jump. I even left my phone in my truck when I got to the trailhead because if something bad did happen, then I wouldn't be able to call anybody for help. That hike up was dark. I had some dark thoughts, negativity. All I could think of was how bad everything had gotten. And when I, when I got to the top, I walked over to the area where I always like to sit, and there's no, there's no railing up there. Like, there's the rocks, and I remember looking down, and I thought, I could just swan dive off of here right now. Deep down, I was too afraid to jump. I wasn't going to jump, but But I was broken and I walked back a few steps and I got down on my knees and I looked up to the sky with my arms over my head and I cried out for help. I had tears just ripping down my face. And in that moment, I was just, I was so incredibly weak. And I keep talking about how weak I was because that was the first time that I truly felt God's strength, or at least was aware of it. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul refers to Jesus telling him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I felt something come over me in that moment, and that hike down was a complete contrast to the hike up. I could only see the good things in my life. I saw opportunity. I really felt God's strength.
1: That's so fantastic. I, I, I love hearing that. I love what, how the Lord met you there in the midst of what was going on, just mm-hmm. the, the transition that happened just in those yeah. moments mm-hmm. there at the top of that mountain. We talk about mountaintop experiences. You, you had a literal one, yeah. to be sure. Um, so what happens next? You're you come down, you, something's happened up on this mountaintop.
0: Yeah. What happened? Shortly after, I booked a flight to visit uh, my best friend, Jake. Jake had been walking with the Lord for a few years at that point. Uh, I also found my Bible, which had been given to me 10 years earlier by a man with, uh, involved with hockey ministries. Jake introduced me to Bible study. We started by reading the Gospels and then reading a chapter of Proverbs every day. Having somebody to walk alongside with on your faith journey is instrumental. I don't I don't see how how we could do it otherwise. So I I go on a hike, I ask for help, I get saved, I'm reading my Bible. Now it's smooth smooth sailing, right? <laughs> not not quite. The, uh, the enemy's slick. And alcohol was the weapon that the enemy used to steal the joy that I was starting to experience through, through the love of Jesus. It led to some really, really, really bad decisions.
1: So you're... You're coming back here you find yourself back here for a time yep and um, you fall into a relationship yep tell us a little bit about that
0: yep so in addition to in addition to that I met a great girl and things progressed pretty quickly and we were soon living together and in a conversation with Pastor Jeff I told him how getting to know Jesus was the most important thing in my life it was what I was seeking every day and he said Nate your words and your actions, they aren't lining up. And I knew that in my heart. It just took hearing those words from somebody else out loud for me to fully re- recognize it. So what did you do? I moved back in with mom. <laughs> I, uh, I had no plan. I, I just knew that how I was living wasn't right and that if pursuing Jesus was what I was really after, it was time that I did it with all my heart. Uh, Jeremiah 13 is a is a verse that it just really resonates with me and it says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart and I have seen I have experienced firsthand the transformation that can happen when you seek him with all your heart so I was getting relationships in order and I was recognizing the grip that, that, that alcohol had on me so with the strength from God I quit and I haven't had a drink in over two years. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. It's been awesome getting to know you Mm -hmm.
1: and to have you here at Pathway and to learn of your story and to watch your progression in faith. Was the plan always to come back to this area?
0: I mean, living in places like Colorado and San Diego. I can't say that I ever intended on moving back to <laughs> Western PA. Strictly on the weather. That's it. Yeah, no, right. But, uh, but God had other plans for me. Uh, originally, I came back from my pap, uh, my grandfather, his, his funeral. And next thing I knew, I had my real estate license and was coaching youth hockey locally. Um, God even blessed me with just a, a beautiful property back here, a beautiful home. And I don't love it because it's big or fancy, that's, that's not it at all, it's just, it's a place that I feel extremely close to God. There was one stipulation in the purchase price, and the purchase was uh, the massive stone sign at the front of the property, it had to stay, it was deeded in. And there's an 18, it's like 18 feet long and three feet high sign on my property that says, Jesus Christ is Lord, the light of the world. and even, even hearing that, like I, I tear up thinking about it, it is just, it is, it is so amazing. I think you told me it's your favorite part of your property. It is. I walk by every day, and I just look at it, and it's amazing. It's awesome. Yep. Uh, when, when I got done playing hockey, I had, I had no, no intentions of being involved with it. I wanted nothing to do with it. I had, I didn't, I didn't touch the ice for three and a half years. But in coming home to the place where I first started playing, I, I fell in love with the game again by coaching those kids. God clearly has me in the arena of hockey for a reason, and I feel that's where I can best serve His kingdom. I'm now, I'm now coaching back at Ohio State, and when I was there as a student athlete, I was not walking with the Lord. Far from it. I feel God has sent me there almost on a, like on a mission trip to walk the walk and to, and to plant seeds. Hockey's opened so many doors for me, so many, but I don't have aspirations of climbing the coaching ranks or becoming a big deal in the hockey world. My greatest desire is to walk through those open doors with the love of Jesus and hopefully encourage other people to get to know him too. Amen.
1: Nate, thank you so much for taking the time to be thank here you. to share your story. And I told you I was going to encourage you, didn't I? And uh, thanks so much. Thank, Thank Nate you. for his part. <clears throat> it has been fun to get to know Nate, and especially toward the end of watching the progression of what has happened in his life and in his story and in his, in his own pursuit of. God. It's been fantastic. You hear some of it. I'm sure that you picked it up in the story, but the fact of the matter is that this is a guy who's in full surrender mode for Christ today. I wish you could hear just all the pieces of his story, and uh, you'd be additionally encouraged by that. But that's what I want for all of us. I want for all of us to come to that place where we experience what this full surrender is really all about. I'd love for Pathway to just be marked by full surrender people all around us how do you do that? Well, well, Jesus had that on his mind also as he was thinking about, as he was teaching the disciples, his 12 disciples and, and other followers that came after him that were pursuing him, that showed some interest. He tried to help them down that road also, because the fact of the matter is there were plenty of distractions in those days otherwise, competing priorities for those who would otherwise follow after Jesus. And so Jesus just wanted to make it as clear as he possibly could for them. How do I move forward? How how do I get to that place of, of full surrender? And so he laid it out for them as clearly as he And it's not just clear, it's also foundational in the whole of the Scriptures. In fact, it's so foundational that we find this one little tidbit, this one verse is really what it is, a verse that tells us something about what Jesus had in mind, tells us how we might pursue becoming those people that ultimately He desires for us to be. It's so foundational, we actually find it in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, in Luke. It's just a succinct little verse, but it really lays it out there to how we get to that place. Here's what it says as Luke records it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If you've ever wondered what Jesus is looking for from you as a believer, there you have it. It gives us these three quick imperatives of what we need to do, what he's calling us to do in order to find ourselves in the place where we are, can be, and live out this full surrendered life that ultimately he's calling us to. I want to share these three with you quickly, and then we'll be done. Three things towards the end of finding and living out this life of full surrender. Here's the first one. It's self-denial. Self-denial. And with that, you might be ready to check out You might be ready to go because this is not something that typically in our culture, even within the church, that we find is something that we naturally want to go and take on. In fact, we resist it oftentimes. It certainly is something that is resisted in our world. You don't go around and walking down the street and find people who are all about self-denial. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. We're supposed to go and find ourselves, is what our culture tells us, right? And so everybody's out trying to find themselves. And what's happening in our world is everybody's trying to find themselves is that we're becoming more and more lost. You've seen that. You recognize that. You know that. You understand that for yourself. Denying self is not a popular message in our culture. It sounds suffocating, doesn't it? It sounds detrimental to our... Mental health. If you were to go on some talk show and start talking about how it's important that everybody would start denying themselves, you'd get laughed out of the, off the set. It's just not the way that our world operates today. But nothing could be further from the truth. It's, it's not bad for us, it's the best thing for us. Self fulfillment, as opposed to self denial, sounds like it's the valuable pursuit, right? It sounds like the thing that is the thing that we should go after. In the grand scheme, however, it's an illusion. You can spend your entire life pursuing it. You can spend your entire life trying to get fulfilled in and of yourself through the attitudes, through the efforts that you make on your own, but you're never going to attain it. It's because it's unattainable. It's unattainable. Self-fulfillment is a myth. It can't be accomplished, it's an oxymoron. You can't pursue self and become fulfilled ultimately. Now that doesn't mean that we don't try. In fact, we try it all the time. There are all sorts of things that we pursue in our lives, things that we want to try to take on, things that we want to have be true of us, things that we're pursuing because we think they're going to fill us up. We think that they are going to give us worth and and meaning and purpose in our lives, and we go after them, and and we just find out that they ultimately are, are empty. I mean, if anybody would have been going down that road, I mean, it's Nate, right? Here's a guy, he's in the NHL, just the tiniest small fraction of people ever make it to the professional ranks. It's the place where you should find and be able to live out your fulfillment and keep that going forward. What's his testimony? His testimony says that when it came to the deepest of things, just left him hollow, left him empty. There was nothing ultimately in that. It looked like the real thing, but it was an illusion. Same thing for us when we pursue it. The solution isn't found in indulging yourself. It's found in denying yourself. This is so important that we would take on, and I know that it might even sound as though it's a message that is counter-Christian cultural, not just counter-cultural. It's acknowledging that you were intentionally made by God, and you have a God-designed purpose for your life. And until you go and you live that out, you find that, you work your way into what God's design for you is, you're never going to find lasting fulfillment. It can't be found anywhere else else. That's the thing. Self-denial is the very thing that can free you to get on the path of living what you've been designed for. And the reason for that is because it's only in self-denial that we start to push away those things that we're trying to pile on more and more and more so we find fulfillment. We don't find it here, so we pile on more and more and more from over there and more and more from over here. And we keep trying to pull it to pile it on. It's not until we start to deny ourselves some of those things that we're trying to find fulfillment through that we get enough margin that we can actually hear and listen and hear and find out what it is that God ultimately has in store, what God's desire would be for us. You cannot find it by trying to pile on more and more self-fulfillment. You find it only through self-denial. That's where this starts. That's where Jesus starts. He says, deny yourself if you want to come after me. And he goes on. Second thing is daily sacrifice. Back to Luke 9 again. The very same verse. We're just going to look at that same verse uh, all the way through here. Back to Luke 9. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. What does it mean to take up your cross daily? Well, let's start by talking about what it doesn't mean. See, because we think about taking up our cross, and many people in their minds think, well, that's talking about standing strong in the midst of the difficult circumstances of life, that it's just kind of your cross that you have to deal with. Somebody might say something like, yeah, I live in Wampum. It's the cross I have to bear. Right? I would never say that, but somebody might say that as though it's just talking about something difficult that you have to endure. Same thing with the Apostle Paul when he talks about the thorns in the flesh that he has or his thorn in the flesh. It's talking about something that is challenging that we need. That's not what this is talking about. That's not what your cross is, the cross that you have to bear. The idea that is involved here, taking up one's cross, evokes the image of Jesus taking up his own cross. And why did he do that? He did that. He came and he went to the cross as a sacrifice to sacrifice himself toward the end of bringing a blessing into the lives of other people, to serve other people, to fulfill his greatest call coming into our world was to go to the cross to die for your salvation and for mine. He did it to fulfill, to live out the will of God the Father. And it's the same thing for us when it comes to our cross. Our cross is our calling to fulfill God's purpose in our life. That purpose is to lay down our lives for Him. That purpose is to lay down our lives for other people as well in the pursuit of something more profound than personal self-advancement. More profound than just going after personal self-advancement advancement. This isn't something that we're called to just on an occasion, according to this verse. It's not just our own mountaintop experience where we're going to to go after that. It's not just when you come to church on the weekend. What he's talking about here is a daily sacrifice, a daily sacrifice. That's today, and then that's again tomorrow, Every day should be lived in full surrender to God's purposes. If it's not an everyday pursuit, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start to shrink back. You're going to start to slip back. Because if it's not a habitual pattern that you are in, you're going to fall into the pattern that is all around you. And what's the pattern all around you? We've seen it, we've talked about it. It is certainly not self denial. It is certainly not sacrificing yourself daily for the sake of a, of a cause that is higher than yourself. You're going to fall back into that same pattern. And because it is such a temptation to fall back into serving ourselves, to listen to everybody around us who encourages us to serve ourselves, there's a little prayer that I think of in the morning that I'd encourage for you. Every morning as you get up, just something simple like this, Lord, help me to die to myself today and live for you. Lord, help me to die to myself today and live for you. Help me to die to myself today and live for you. It's not a prayer you might normally think to pray, is it? I don't want to die to myself. I want to fill myself up. And because we've pursued that over and over again, we find ourselves empty and kind of wondering, how in the world did I get here? If we want to live a life of full surrender, we need to take the step of self-denial Of daily sacrifice and then also ready obedience. Luke 9 again, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. To follow Jesus means to live as he lived, to obey what he called us to go and do. It means letting go of that white knuckled hold that you have on the steering wheel of your life, or oftentimes we take hold of, directing our own steps. Pushing ourselves forward into the directions that we desire to go. Making sure that I'm in charge, that I'm in control. Which is just the opposite of denying self and taking up our cross and following Jesus. Like the disciples, what did they do? Jesus comes and he calls them out of what they were in the middle of doing, out of their occupations. Follow me. And they followed him. They followed him. That's the pattern that's here for us. But if we're going to follow, we're going to have to learn to say no to some things. And this is where the challenge comes in, right? It's where the challenge comes in because, yes, we want to follow. I'm sure that all of you are interested in following Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening. But sometimes there are other things that are competing for our attention. Some other things that we're going after. They're kind of watering down our, our wholehearted effort of following after Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I'm going to have to keep control of how I use my time. Yes, I want to follow you, but, but I get control of my money. Yes, I want to follow you, but, but my girlfriend is so awesome and I love living with her. And besides, it's cheaper to do it that way. We've got all kinds of reasons. Yes, I'd like to follow you, but I just don't want to change. Jesus never invited anyone to follow part-time. It's actually not a thing. Part-time follower of Jesus just doesn't compute. There's another one of those oxymorons, right? But we still try to do it. We still try to do it. I want to be in. Yeah, I do, but I also kind of want to have my blizzard, spiritually speaking. And then we wonder, why is my spiritual life so blah? Why is it not really going anywhere? Why does it kind of feel a step forward, a step back? Well, Jesus tells us right here. He lays it out very plainly. And it's just a matter of whether or not we're going to be willing to embrace the truth that he's giving to us so plainly challenge of this verse that we're looking at is that it's blatantly countercultural. You don't walk around and see a lot of people who are supporting you in moving down this path, down this journey. Denial, sacrifice, obedience are not behaviors that are promoted or or reinforced in our world, which is why it's so important that we would find people to, to spend time with, to hang out with, who can model this for us who are maybe ahead of us, or maybe at least walking together with us in our own interest in being fully surrendered, that we would find those people, that we'd spend time with those people, that would encourage us. It would continue to spur us on because we look on and we see, well, this apparently isn't me. I'm not the only one who's doing this. It's part of Nate's story. Nate is loving to go back to His deep desire is to go back to that same college locker room and bring a message to these student athletes in an environment where he had no one to encourage or to move him in that direction, but to be that person for these guys. And he's having an impact where there's been no real spiritual environment. Nate is becoming that spiritual environment. There's a Bible study that's going to be coming in very soon, no doubt, because of his influence. I love that. We all need that. People who can help to show us that you're not weird for being the one who wants to go all in, that wants to go full surrender. But where are you seeing that? Who are the people that you're hanging with that are demonstrating that to you, that are encouraging you to move forward? Or is it kind of a, One foot in, one foot out. That's why full surrender is so different, so difficult. It's because we have this temptation to, yes, I want to be a follower, but yes, I also like this. And unfortunately, we have too many examples that are kind of the lukewarm examples. And we actually find support in doing so because you can point to plenty of other believers in Jesus who are right there. We need to start a wave. We need to start a movement that is taking us in a different direction. We would say, yes, I take God at His word when He says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me, that that's what I'm going to do. And I pray that that's the perspective that we might together take on, that we might together live out because we can spur one another on And it can get this sort of momentum. And I pray that that's where we'd be. I hope that you were encouraged by Nate's words. The example that he's working to set. And I pray that together we would do the same thing. And as we do, live lives of full surrender. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing to Nate. Thank you that you are working in him and through him to set an example for all of us and for athletes in locker rooms. Lord, I pray that we might be those very same people. I pray that we would be ones who are all in, sold out, that full surrender that we wouldn't look at that idea or look at this verse and just kind of push it aside because we're not prepared to go there. And instead of saying, I'm not prepared to take the leap, to take the step, that from this moment forward, that's how you're going to be defined. Not trying to find your own fulfillment as we so often try to do, but Lord, leaning into you instead. Lord, thank you for your call on our lives. Thank you that Jesus made it so plain that we have a standard against which we can examine where we are and where we're going. Lord, I just pray that we would be responsive, that our hearts would be softened, that we might submit to you, that we might
0: live lives of full surrender, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.